Rockheads. This is Bill Clinton. You better listen to .NET Rocks, because I sent Carl some money and some cigars. And now, here's the man I've been talking about, Carl Franklin. Thank you, Bill. This is Carl Franklin. You're listening to .NET Rocks. Thank you very much. I'm here on the East Coast of the United States of America, right in between Boston and New York, nestled into the little harbor here called New London, place where they like to uh, give you a house with one hand and take it away with the other. <laughs> and Richard Campbell, my my uh, partner in crime, getting ready for the road trip out there in Vancouver. I was thinking in that little place where they like to keep nuclear submarines. Yeah, yeah. We're basically one great big bullseye right here. Just <laughs> blow us up, people. We got the nuclear submarines, we got the Coast Guard Academy, we got the nuclear power plant. Jesus, what am I doing telling the people about this stuff here? Yeah, what are you doing? All the terrorists that listen to .NET Rocks now are all clued into it, right? Carl, what's your longitude and latitude over there? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, no, this isn't Mondays. This is uh, .NET Rocks, and Mark Miller just happens to be our guest. But you before- know, I'm glad you said this and clear this all up, because I thought I was co-host. <laughs> and, I mean, since the last time, I was going to ask you, like, like, it's been such a long time. I thought we were supposed to do this every week, and I was the <laughs> last time. We, and also, Richard was our guest last time, as I recall. Uh-huh. But I guess I'm not co-host, am I? No. Yeah. No, but uh, there, are oh, some, well. there are some people dumber than you this week, though, however. Oh, that's good news. Yeah, I'm I'm probably one of those people. But uh, anyway, before before Mark, we start talking about what we're going to talk about. Uh, Richard, we have to bring people up to speed on the road trip. Am I right? Oh yeah. Besides the fact that we're just going crazy trying to get ready for it. Yeah, this is called pre-road trip freakout mode. Oh yeah. Right here we've got all the swag. We've got you know uh, the, the graphics seem to be ready to come off the printer. Dr. Neal's you know, come through us big time. Dr. Neal, how awesome is that? With viavirtualearth.com, those guys up there, he, he's got guys working on this website. We're going to have a GPS unit, and it's going to be broadcasting through an application to a, uh, to a website up there through a web service, our longs and lats. You're going to be able to go to the road trip website and watch the progress of the van. Not only that, but we're going to try to get a webcam going. And uh, you know, all that kind of stuff, so you'd be able to interact with us as we're driving. This is absolutely insane, Carl. You're Thank trying to you. make it as easy as possible for the stalkers, aren't you? <laughs> Just like, ah, yeah, okay, they're all asleep now, and I know exactly where they are. <laughs> but we're looking to have a lot of fun. We're, we're going to have parties. We're going to have parties on the weekends, uh, Atlanta. We're going to have one in Austin. We're going to do Mondays in Austin. And Mark, you're going to be there, right? Mm, yeah, I'm showing up in Austin, and I'm, uh, well, as far as the stalkers know, maybe not, but, but <laughs> everybody else, yeah, I'll be in Austin, and then I will uh, be departing around Phoenix, I think. So, so Richard, and the reason you should come to the uh, road trip uh, event in your town is not just to see us, but you're going to see some new content on Visual Basic 2005. You're going to see some, uh, and this is, you know, from my head, this is stuff that I've found that I really like about Visual Basic 2005 and some applications that I've written around it. And Richard's going to show off what's new in mobility in 2005. And we've got swag galore to give away, um, right? 
Oh, yeah. The guys from Singular are putting together a package for us that we're going to give away. These new Hewlett Packard devices. Full keyboards on them, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, all the GPS stuff, uh, the Edge. So you've got high-speed connectivity. They're amazing devices, and And they're brand new. And not only that, but we'll have some new devices that are on the market, just a handful of them to show off. And, you know, lots of toys. It's all about toys. So come out and see the toys. See what's new in VB2005. Hang with us. Maybe you'll get a shirt or a .NET Rocks bumper sticker or something. And, uh, and we'll, you know, we'll have some movies to give away, some .NET Rocks movies and all sorts of fun stuff. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And you might even get one of these new devices. That's right. And you can't get it if you're not there. So definitely show up. See, I want to go just to see how Carl and Richard are able to hang out with each other in a small room on wheels for like three weeks. <laughs> for, forget Eco Challenge, forget Survivor. Let's go take a look at the uh, road trip, man. It's going to be the road trip reality show where yeah. Oh, yeah. Richard's going to be hanging Jeff out the window. You know, That's what it's going to be. So I, I told Carl earlier this week, I'm really je- glad Jeff's coming because at least I have somebody I know I can throw under the bus. <laughs> so anyway... Well, uh, Mark, I asked you if you would do a show with me uh, a month ago because, you know, we we have these conversations in between the the crazy stuff we do with Mondays about how we work and how we write code and the things that we're working on. And it just seems to me that you have, like, stealthy problem-solving skills, and I'm sure that you have a lot of advice and, and techniques and things to share with our listeners, and so I thought this might make a good show. So, welcome. Thanks, man. Uh, I got nothing, though. <laughs> All right. Well, you've been listening to .NET Rocks. We'll That's catch you next week. That's the end of the show. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I was going to say, uh, I, I Mark, download all my solutions from the internet, man. If you don't know who Mark Miller is, uh, what's your title these days at Developer Express, Mark? It is Chief Architect of the IDE Tools Division at Developer Express. Okay. And uh, that means I'm uh, I, I'm the guy that you can love or hate for products like Code Rush and Refactor. Okay. And um, uh, what else? Uh, Great products, by the way. We like them. We use them. We, we only have love for those toys. Right. And then also, also the, uh, there's, a, there's a kind of an obscure little bit that's free called the uh, DX Core, which is a uh, extensibility architecture for Visual Studio, and it makes it easy to uh, make plugins and, uh, uh, and really extend Visual Studio in radical ways in, in, uh, with a little bit, just a little bit of code as opposed to like a lot of code. And that's a free product. And so, uh, yeah, very cool. And supported by our company, too. And you, and then, you, you basically, uh, are, I've seen you actually write code, not only you know, in, uh, in a setting of showing, but actually in a work setting. And you're just an animal. So how do you, how do, you do what you do? I mean, what, what is, what's the magic of Mark Miller's uh, dynam- dynamo kind of coder persona here? Okay, well, it, I guess it started about, um, I don't know, about 12, 12, 14 years ago, I was... Uh, uh, I used a product called CodeWrite, and, and I guess my biggest problem was is whenever I was writing code, I had ideas, and I knew where I want the I knew what I wanted to write, but I couldn't get the keys. To, I couldn't press the keys fast enough, yeah. and, and what would happen is it would be this desperate race between writing code very quickly. I mean, trying to write as quickly as I could to fill out the ideas, and my ideas as they were kind of departing my my head. Because I was, you know, so frustrated trying to catch up with them. And so it'd be this race to kind of catch up with the ideas. And, um, 
and and so I, I basically that's kind of around the time I started transitioning into creating developer tools because I, I wanted to be able to to write code at a pace that kept up with with how fast I was thinking and, and um, well that's and, and so I've spent like uh, I want to say like the last 13 years um, uh, doing that and uh, uh, so, so, so my persona, I guess, is essentially one that looks for frictional forces, forces that opposing forces that stop me from getting or that act against me getting to wherever I need to get to go, and eliminating those. That, yeah, that that's essentially how I work. So, and, and when you know when you, you when you work, you work f- the whole gamut from architecture and design through uh, development, fleshing out objects and and actually implementing things um what is that process like for you and and in particular what are the kind of uh what are the kind of skills and techniques that you've garnered to um to you know to help you do that as effectively as you do well um i don't know you know the first thing that comes to mind is 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 i actually do um a lot more artwork than most developers do and I'm really not a good artist at all um, I'm essentially kind of following rules that I've collected based on observing what I consider to be good art um, okay. and, uh, and 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 I do have like a creative I've, there's a creative side you know to me and there's a, uh, right. a and there's a very technical side to me where I want to go and you know dive in deep and I kind of will switch back and forth between those and so as and also the other thing is uh, before I uh, came to on board with Developer Express, I was essentially a uh, a one man company. I mean that's that's a yeah. bit of an underestimation. I mean we uh, you know there's somebody doing sales and marketing and and uh, and I had other guys help me from time to time uh, yeah. around the world that were helping out. But um, but I was essentially one one man shop, which means I wrote my install, I did the artwork, I did the documentation. Yeah, I did the documentation, and so. Um, uh, uh, because of that, I've kind of developed these skills in. Uh, you in learn to of, economize. Yeah, yeah, in the, in these different areas. Yeah, that's true. Now, the other thing. Now, actually, when you talk about economy, um, uh, uh, one of the 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 situations that has been relatively consistent uh, in since I've since I've been selling developer tools um, has been that I've been essentially competing against bigger teams. Hmm. Right. Uh, if you you know, this started in the Delphi world, and so you know we're making a, a plugin for Delphi, um, uh, the Codrus product for Delphi plugged into Delphi, and uh, to some degree we were competing against the Delphi R and D team. Yeah, and which had more people, and then now we've moved over to Visual Studio, and the same kind of thing you know uh, is happening again. Uh, you know, and we you're, are you say you're competing with the the Visual Studio team. Yeah. In what yeah. sense? Well, in the sense that if they do a really, really good job at making the product very, very, very efficient, then there's no need for products like Code Rush or maybe Refactor. Okay, I okay. See. So, so now, now we're also in a kind of a, a, a symbiotic position with them as well. In other words, we we depend on them for sales. Yeah. Right. Our sales are always going to be a subset of of theirs because we sit inside of their environment, but. We're competing against them, and we have to be able to provide a significant difference, a noticeable difference in productivity between what is in the regular environment and what you get when you get the product. Right. So and this is this is all to support the point that, you know, the reasons why you've had to economize and become super programmer. All right. So one of the observations that, that I've made is that uh, uh, 
when you're in a situation and you're competing against another team, like say you got five guys on your team and, and your competition has got 15 guys, um, it is possible to uh, get yourself into a position where with those five guys you can compete essentially head-to-head with the 15. And the way to get the biggest benefits, in my opinion, uh, is not through coding quickly. Coding quickly gets you the second biggest benefit, in my opinion. The number well, you one, have, the have number to write one, the right code too. <laughs> yeah, you got to write the right code. That's true. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to assume that both both sets of teams are competent in writing right. the right code. Sure. Um, the 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 number one benefit the, where that's really going to pay off, in my opinion, is in architecture. Yeah. Um, and 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 here's the deal: most uh, teams that I've seen uh, when they're creating their architecture. They are not thinking in terms of uh, um, uh, revs. I guess is the way I would call it revs. And and what Next I mean versions. Yeah. Next yeah. What I mean by that up. is what what happens when you go from version one to version two? You add new features, right? That's essentially the big thing that gets you the sales, right? Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna fix bugs. You're gonna maybe simplify the interface, but you're going to add new features now. If your architecture allows you to add new features with much less code than your competition, okay, then you have a significant competitive advantage. Sure. Because the thing that you're going to do the most of, right, over time, which is improving the product, is going to be the is going to be adding new features and that's and what and 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 what happens this is this is what i've seen in in these situations is that initially it looks like you're kind of just staying head to head with the competition and the reason why is because you're investing a lot early on on making the uh uh making making these revs sure fast with small, with very, very little code. In other, and what this what this implies is your engine that all your all your features are 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 connected to is very powerful, very strong. It's robust. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, uh, so that's so. You, so in the in the beginning of the process, you're spending a lot more time tweaking the engine. In other words. Um. Yeah. Well, I would say beyond tweaking, we're actually you know building the engine, building and implementing. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, for for if you, if you look at Code Rush, um, a lot of the features I've told this to other people. A lot of the features in Code Rush are, from my perspective, proof of concept that the engine works. Right now, the, now that kind of you know some people may consider that a negative comment. In other words, like uh, it's cheapening some of the features. I mean, the features are are definitely uh, 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 state of the art right yeah, now. Yeah, they're great features. Just because but, they were easy to implement, that says good things about your architecture. Well, but, not well, bad well hold on, though. No, but rush. when I say proof of concept, I mean not final in my mind. In other words, we g- we got it to the point where we verified the engine was good and it's out. Okay, and we shipped yeah. the feature, but. We're either going to rev that in the future, or and make it into you know the ultimate, right? The, at least as as we conceive it now. Okay. Or uh, a customer will come along and make a plugin that 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 uh, leapfrogs it. Hmm. And and as far as we're concerned, either way, well, it's I guess from our perspective, it's a little bit better if we do it. But if a customer does it, that's okay as well. So, All right. So, so so if I can bring you back to the idea of. Uh, problem solving and and how you go about uh you know how you go about the process of finding issues and and uh, nailing things down and just in general pre your problem solving skills 
Yeah. You, yeah. You could bring me back. The I'm bringing why, you back, man. Can you bring me back in like two minutes? All right. Okay. The, the reason why is because there's 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 one there's other more thing that is ancillary that, data we need here before the, we can. Well, we were talking about competitive advantage, right? Yeah. And 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 as far as I'm concerned, I actually never left the topic because uh, the challenge of having five guys on your team and and going against a team with fifteen that's that's a challenge that to some degree people would say, hey, wait, that's impossible. Let's quit. Yes. Okay, and I'm describing ways and techniques in which you can do that. One other mm-hmm. one that's that's really big uh, uh, for us that we found is um, uh, having robust uh, test cases, massive amounts of test cases. Anytime a bug comes in, you write a test case first, and then you fix the bug. And yeah. what this allows us to do is it allows us to put a rev out, you know, an intermediate update, like say a customer finds a, uh, an important bug and we want to fix that, or uh, for some reason we need a build out because we want to stay in sync with uh, like a, a, a CTP coming out from Microsoft, that sort of thing. It allows us to put a build out on short notice and run all of these tests. Now, the other thing that we've discovered, too, with tests is that with a number of test cases, with at least the features we are creating, it is possible to to create programs that generate hundreds or even thousands of test cases for you automatically and wow. th- this is and this is and this is a, a recent discovery we made um, with uh, a couple new features that we are putting into the engine and uh, the features have to do with uh, uh, things like reflection and uh, the .NET reflection and uh, 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 finding all references things like that Right. Um, in source code. And so these, there are, because of the nature of source code and because of the nature of .NET reflection, we can go in and we can say, okay, let's create a program that loads up every single .NET assembly that we can feed it and then analyze it and then generate test cases for it. Are you actually using some of the DX Core technology to write this code? Um, hmm. Or is this all from scratch kind of stuff? Well, I guess the answer is kind of yes to this, except for the re- realize that the, it, it, part of it is is that the DX core is actually being tested in this. Right. So, That's... of course, we've got to be using it for that half. Uh, the other half, though, is yes, and there's one other thing, too, is in addition to loading up the assemblies, the other thing for find all references, what we do is we feed it source files. Loads and loads and loads of source files. Mm. So we go to like Code Project. We find the biggest project they have. And by the way, if if Code Project guys are listening, I would love to have a way to sort by size of source files because <laughs> I want to find the biggest thing out there um, uh, and uh, and bring those down. And 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 we just we just we we basically feed this machine that's generating test cases lots of data, and we generate thousands of test cases, and then that immediately tells us if we've got a problem or we've actually found uh some some i guess i guess you might call it a limitation of uh, in dotnet reflection and i don't i don't have the specifics with me right now but in other words you when, when you're comparing two different ways of solving a problem and you're and you're 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 taking a look at massive amounts of data these kinds of things will appear so now you said let's go back well, to the well problem. hang on a second no right, no, sure. no before you do that um right. i just want to make sure i'm clear on on this application you've written so this these test cases that you're generating with this code this is against your code yes and so well, why are you feeding it source projects that uh, okay. from other well one of the features is find all references okay okay which is a feature that's coming out sometime in the future from us okay okay and find all references is uh, what it has to do is, is if you've got an identifier you've got to go find all the references to and this that is a refactor feature I would t- I take it I'm sorry. 
is a refactor feature, right? You know, actually, I think it's going to be in Code Rush. It's I'm not a hundred percent sure. Okay. Um, the thing is, is that a lot of people that have Code Rush, well, anybody who buys Code Rush gets refactor for free, and so right. you, you know, there's a lot of overlap anyway. And the the reason why I can't really get into too many details on the reason why it's okay. just that it's more than just find all references. But it's actually this is actually something that's in going to be in the DX core. So if somebody wanted to go out and make a you know plugin that did their own find all references, they could. At right. any rate, find all references. What you got? You basically have an identifier, and you got to find every single reference to that identifier. So you're feeding it source files, just as arbitrary pieces of code that are supposedly debugged and working. That compile, right? That, that compile. compile, and exactly. And what we do is we compare the results of that with known results from either we use an existing like grep tool that we're not grep but an existing um uh find all references tool i'm not sure what the what we're comparing against but we're using uh something else to compare it with and what we're doing is we are we are using this and then writing test cases test cases so you're writing code that writes the test case code right yeah yes the code this program this this program generates test cases for us and you know, then, I, I, I knew I knew that you guys were employing aliens to do this kind of work. <laughs> no. I, I, and, then, <laughs> and, and then when it comes time to, uh, and then when it comes time to, you know, do a new rev, we run all the test cases, you know, right. and 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 anything that comes up where it, it's it's not it's it's anything questionable, a, d- a developer looks at that, right? If it's unexpected result, developer yeah. looks at that and tries to figure out what's going on. So it's. Um, uh, uh, okay. It, it, this is also a competitive advantage. If your competition's got 15 guys, but they don't have this, right. what's going to happen is over time, you are going to get the reputation for being more solid, right? So, so number one, good architecture. Number two, write code that does your work for you. Yeah, if you can. Yeah. If you can. And I mean, yeah. I mean, that's and, and and the thing is, is that 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 this 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 approach of of building test cases in an automated manner. Mm-hmm. Uh, was I would call it relatively non-intuitive. When the idea was first presented, a lot of people were like, "Huh? Yeah, you know, it's are we, you know, can we, are can we do that?" And, and right, right. you know, I thought we were supposed to do this by hand, kind of thing. Yeah. So it's it's it just wasn't an obvious it wasn't an obvious leap, and and yet it was, and yet when you looked at the uh, what was available to us, it was becoming apparent that we really could do this and we could do it very well. Yeah. So um, that was okay. Good. Yeah, so so you were trying to get me back to the kind of the general thing of how do you solve, how do you solve problems? Yeah, right. And the the thing that one of the things that Carl that really just thrills me to death. I get I get it, it's just a thrill for me is when when I'm in a room and uh, and one or two people say okay that's impossible and everybody yeah. starts nodding their head. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I love that because because you know there's a, this is an opportunity now to impossible impossible what to, to find out impossible? if it really is impossible or not. Right. Okay. In other words, and, and, and the more people that agree, the more exciting it is to me. <laughs> okay. And so what I did is I knew we were going to talk about this problem solving thing, so I kind of wrote down some of the things I was you know kind of thinking about the ways that I approach these kinds of problems. Okay. And I I'd, I'd really I almost want to think about this. I mean if 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 you and I do our jobs right in this show, Carl, this show could be you know called "How to Do the Impossible" or something like that. Okay. I don't know. That's kind of lame. We maybe do an edit point and cut all that that little. No, that's the, all right. That that's bit not out. a anyway. bad subtitle, actually. <laughs> so the first thing that I have down in my list that I thought was pretty important was ask the right questions. Okay, ask the right questions. 
And there are two benefits from this. Um, one of the benefits is, is if you just ask yourself a question, how am I going to solve this problem? And you ask yourself that question again and again and again and again. Like a lot of times I'm working on something just that does seem truly impossible to me. I'll ask myself this question like before I go to bed at night. And yeah. so, and then I'll, I'll do that for like days and like maybe four, after four days of doing this, I'll get an idea that I had not considered at all. In Which the, was that the question was the wrong question, right? Well, it wasn't, no, so it wasn't necessarily the, the wrong question. It was just that, you know, I, 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 I'll get into that part in a second, but, 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 but it's just that because I'm asking myself the question, the reason why is our brains are naturally geared towards problem solving, Right. And yes. so if you, you, if you repeat the same, you know, question, the same problem, if you present your mind with that same problem, it's going to think about it and think about it. And one of the really cool things about our minds is we're able to, to look at things in different ways the longer we look at them. We, th- we, we think of different ways to look at the problem. So, yeah. so one of the benefits is that. The other one is, is just, you know, from the standpoint of being critical of the question that's being asked and is it, and identifying whether or not it is the right question. Okay. Yes. Something so, that you don't, uh, something that you don't think of very much. Uh, well, like you, people naturally assume, especially developers, and I'm no different. That of course we're asking the right question. This is the this is my question. Answer my question, right? Well, and and the thing is, is sometimes if you rephrase the question, you can come up with a solution that's very obvious. Like mm. I, I, one of the questions that occurred to me was. Uh, something that that give it was an example of this was something like this: Is it possible for Microsoft to come up with a solution that addresses a hundred percent of their piracy issues? And hmm. and and this is the kind of question that you know some people can look at, and and you've you've often heard. I mean, you know, I imagine like most of our listeners are developers, and probably a lot of them may have issues with piracy. I mean, if you don't, then you're 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 lucky. Uh, but uh, but if piracy is a problem, it's a challenging problem to solve. And sometimes people say this, you hear this argument, well, it's impossible to solve it. So why bother? Why try? Right? Yeah. But we if you get to that, if you get to that point, there's, of course, the natural follow up to the question, right? Because it's impossible to come up with a solution that addresses 100% of the piracy issues. So my suggestion is, is that it's not the right question, and it's too limiting. And, and a different question might be something like this. If Microsoft could solve 90% of their piracy issues by simultaneously pushing several solutions all designed to chip away at the problem, would that be useful? Would that be helpful? Mm. And there you say, yeah, of course it would be. And then you start looking at, well, okay, so how can we do this? How can we get to this point? I mean, if you look at this, if you look at um, uh, security is another good example. And sure. uh, my, observ- you know, my observations on Microsoft, uh, um, you know, Microsoft's been the target of a lot of, uh, you know, security, uh, I guess you'd call it attacks. Exploitation, I Yeah, guess. exploits. Yeah. Um, Microsoft's a huge target, right? Yes. And and if you if you pose the same question, you know, how is it possible for Microsoft to completely guarantee that they will never, ever be exploited again? Is is that possible? And and, uh, you know, I, I, I contend that's the wrong question. The right question is, is it possible for Microsoft to effectively combat it, you know, and and, sure. and change the perception uh, by perhaps doing something, you know, instead of one whole one solution, use use several 
And if you look at what Microsoft's doing, they've got like you know they've got auto updates. Um, the uh, the 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 operating system is more secure. I mean, if you look at .NET, you've got security permissions all over the place if you're programming in .NET. Um, they also have got this uh, this uh, monkey honeypot thing that's uh, this. Uh, um, they, they've got a whole bunch of uh, of, uh, of computers that go out and surf websites and look and they analyze the computers to see if they're being exploited. Yes. Uh, and so they've got essentially you know detective work, and then they've also got legal uh, uh, legal stuff where they go after uh, um, uh, you know abusers, people that are trying to target you know exploit their customers. And by and don't combi- forget the two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollar reward they were offering for anybody who turns in virus creators. Right. And so uh, and yeah. they really are tacking on all these different angles, a social angle as well as a technical angle. And what, yeah. they, what they've realized is, is that, yes, while it's true that there is no one single solution to, to solve the security problem, uh, uh, if they do put together a lot of concerted effort, they can, uh, and they can and solve the problem in a lot of small ways. Those small ways can add up, and they can get something like a 90% or, you know, close to 100%. Okay? Mm. And that actually leads to, you know, one of, one of the techniques, which is sometimes one solution isn't enough. Yeah. Sometimes you need many small ones. It occurs to me, Mark, that you're sort of hitting on many of the common problems that really smart people have. Uh, one of the classic ones is this belief that they're of the the unified plan, the unified uh, theory that'll do everything. If right. we think about this long enough, we'll find one great answer. Oh, just hit this button, and the problem goes away. Right, yeah. and by and by having pro- almost never exists, and by having solutions that only require one button press, there's one single point of failure, which makes it more vulnerable. So, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, especially where security and piracy and those bigger issues are concerned. Yeah, the more the more cops you have on the street, the safer the streets are, right? Yeah. Now, 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 let's look at what, what one of the things Richard just said. If we, I, I guess I should give an example of, of uh, I guess, from my personal uh, uh, life. Um, I remember a while back I was uh, uh, discussing with my wife uh, which route we would take to get to um, uh, her sister's house. And there are two major freeways we can take. It's essentially a fork in the road, and there okay. it's essentially a wash either way. The the um, uh, the uh, 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 when you get to that fork, that decision point as far as where you're going to go, it, it, the distance is about the same. That sort of thing, and and it was important to her to uh, to come up with a uh, to know which path we were going to take before we left. And I said, uh, you know what? We don't really need to make that decision right now. We can make it later. And uh, and and the uh, 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 this kind of gets back to what Richard was saying about this this you know one unified thing where 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 if you get to this point where there's uncertainty, people want to have certainty before they follow down one of the two paths. Right. Okay. Right. And and this is this is another tip that is very useful, which is allow parallel paths to exist in your mind, okay? Parallel solutions simultaneously, and and sometimes these 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 paths can be contradictory or mutually exclusive, as in the example of which path we're going to take to get to her sister's house, okay? Well, you knew the outcome of both of those paths, though, right? Well, we did know the outcome, but in the exact, but 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 the reason we know the outcome is because 
I came up with a really simple example to explain this. Oh, okay. In, <laughs> you, you know, you didn't really know the outcome. You knew what the intended outcome was. Well, yeah, I know actually, what we want to get to. Actually, Richard... And I don't care how we get there. Richard's right. R- Richard's absolutely right. And I have not, I've not highlighted the benefit of this yet, okay? The benefit is, is that it allows you to postpone decisions. It buys you time. Okay, and 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 what you're hoping for or what you're expecting is during that time, more information will trickle in. Okay, and that more information, the more information you have, the wiser the decision you can make. Okay, so 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 that's the benefit, right? In the real world, we we know we 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 know. Okay, we want to get to our sister's house, right? But 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 between here and there, I mean I mean I I described it as a very simple. It's a, I, I described it as a, as, a, as a simple path, right? A or sure. B. But in reality, it's really not. When we hit the freeway and we get there, as we approach that intersection that where the freeway is split into two different freeways, one of them might be really loaded with traffic. Right. Okay? And so now we've gotten some more information, and now we can say, hey, you know what? It's obvious. Sure. Okay? And, if, and, and I love it when that happens. You know when when there's an obvious solution there, and then so we don't ultimately, don't we, uh, don't be afraid to uh, to go off in a couple of different directions. Now you said and simul- just to clarify, wait, simultaneously, clar- I want to I want to add simultaneously, right? Simultaneously. You know, now you don't you mean within a programmer's mind, not within a shop? Like you wouldn't have half of your guys setting off on one path and half forking the code on another path, right? Or the, would you? I, I mean, in, I was I was intending to indicate yes in your mind. Although the other thing you've talked about, we have done some similar things. In other words, well, it's not so much that we have one half going one way, one half the other, but mm-hmm. we look at the two paths and we see what is the the subset that is the shared between them. Yeah. The intersection of the two. And we work on those engine parts. Okay. Okay. Buying time, right? Waiting to see whatever we're waiting on, like maybe it's something from Microsoft or maybe it's, you know, to see maybe some R&D work. To, to see which uh, direction is the way to go, um, uh, you know, which is the path of least resistance. But right. we, 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 we don't just wait until we d- decide which way we're going to go. We find the pieces that are in common between the two that regardless of which path, we're going to need those anyway. As an example, in the car, th- the car example, uh, let's say the, the car is low on gas. We're going to need to get gas no matter what. Right. And so let's fill it up before we start hitting the road. And sure. We, and you're going to come to the fork eventually. You have that much time to make your decision, head yeah. for the fork. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now we talked about forks in the road. In, in the real life, often there are more than just two choices, right? Sure. Um, and actually, I want to kind of emphasize parallel paths one more time. The, 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 the part that I, that I found tra- required a little more training with, with me is when the paths had radically contradictory ideas okay mm. and the first example out of my mind is uh okay there is a god or there is no god oh yeah, right? great radically the contradictory minor issue right ra- radically contradictory uh, ideas and i don't know maybe i can't even say that because you i think you were telling me there's no religion on the show right <laughs> no, does that qualify or not <laughs> i don't know well anyway they, i mean these are radically contradictory ideas and yet you might be able to solve a problem and realize that that as you go through this path just like, you know, you know and, and maybe you don't know where you're going to end up. But then as you follow both paths that are radically contradictory, you might find that they come back and meet again for a short period of time. And if that's the case, you can skip the whole unknown section. It doesn't matter which path you take. Okay? 
doesn't matter if there's a God, doesn't matter if there's not a God, we still end up on the on that end point. Boy, I'm sounding real religious now at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Are we editing the whole thing out? Yeah, let's some, take something a little more controversial than, is there a God? What, what, let's say, um, what, what should we do instead, man? Well, the classic it, it, parallel of this is .NET versus J2EE. And as you analyze an application, you reach a point where you suddenly realize, I don't really care what platform I build on. Right. The basic steps are the same. Yeah. And is it going to work? Yeah. In the <laughs> end, the goal was to build an app. They, you know, everything else around that was secondary. Listen to the show, you've heard me talk about ASP.NET tools from Telerik at T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com. They've recently released a new version of their RAD control suite, Q3 2005, and I'd like to tell you about it. Telerik RAD control suite is the most innovative and comprehensive tool set for ASP.NET development, allowing professionals to build web solutions with the UI richness and responsiveness of desktop applications. The latest milestone release, Q3 2005, is the first on the market to bring full XHTML 1.1 and accessibility compliance with WCAG Level A and Section 508, thus enabling developers to build standards-compliant web applications easier and faster than ever. Added to this are key updates to four of Telerik's most popular products, RAD Editor, RAD Grid, RAD Tree View, and RAD Rotator. RAD Controls is also available with an annual subscription option for all updates and new components added to the suite within a year of your purchase. Hey, did you know the .NET Rocks website was done with the Telerik menu? That's right, if you use the menu on the left-hand side, you're using Telerik's products. So go check them out at www.telerik.com. So, so now we're talking about we're talking about parallel paths. There may be more than two choices, right? And and I kind of describe these as kind of they fan out, right? The choices fan out. So at one step we've got five possibilities, and at each of those five we got another five, and this kind of thing is very very challenging to solve. And sometimes, if 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 you're lucky. Uh, and, and well, you also have to know where your kind of end result is. You have to have a kind of a desired end result where you know you want to end up at. The question is, can I get from here to there, from point A to point Z or point Z, can I do it? And, and the suggestion here is to work uh, these non-intuitive multiple branch point A to point Z challenges from both directions. In other words, if you know your end point, try working backwards and check to see if any of these fanning points match up. Give me an example of that. No, I don't have any. I mean, don't have I, any good I, one. It, it is, it's ringing a bell for me because I, I don't have an example either. But this kind of thinking, you know, when I'm thinking down the tree of if I go down this route, what exactly do I have to do? Uh, and then I start, you know, putting all this stuff on the stack and finally coming to the 
point in unraveling it, you know, sometimes I will work backwards from the desired result. And yeah. I, I can't think of an exact, I mean, it's such an abstract idea, right? I have no, the, the, the point where this gets me most or, or where I, where I've experienced this the most is essentially in, in, in being in when it, when it's time for me to be able to prove something. Okay. In other words, uh, you know, somebody might say, well, okay, that's not achievable. And, and then I might have to figure out a way. Is it, is that true or not? And then I would need to prove it. And so often when you're proving things, it's a multiple step process where you say, okay, we know this is true. Therefore we can conclude this. Right. We know that's true. Therefore we can conclude one of these two. So now we start branching off our proof right into two different directions. And then we, we, we keep trying to get through until we can finally get to that ending point. Um, the, uh, related to proofs, this is, this is the other thing that is, um, that I find often is, is, is kind of a limiting mindset that I, that I, in some people, uh, a lot of people think things are essentially either true or false or yes or no. In other words, they're looking for absolutes. It is easier in our brains to hold absolutes than it is to hold uncertainty. Especially because we deal with such binary systems. Exactly. It sort of conditions us to think that way. Right, but the, the the truth is, is that it's really it's really not just yes or no. It's I like to think of it as that that checkbox with a kind of grade state in it. Yeah, Th- that that's really where things are. Um, I got a couple examples of that, but um, the uh, uh, I I think the uh, uh, and actually before I get into those examples, there's something else I wanted to 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 talk about, and that's when I was I was in I had this great math class. And uh, uh, it was it was my best math class ever. And it was there were I guess two things were distinctive about it. One is I had to work my butt off in this class to to get even a B, I think, in this class. Um, and second of all, it was the it was the first and only math class I ever had instructed by a woman. And this woman impressed the heck out of me. And it was all about proving things. It was essentially logic based things. Mm-hmm. And in that class. Uh, we would get maybe uh, a few statements and we would be told these statements are true. And then they would say, okay, prove that this follow-up statement, prove it. Right. And by proving it, we had to either mean that we either had true to, or false. We, could choo- yeah. we could choose. Well, we could choose it was to prove it was true. We could choose to prove it was false. Or, and I say choose, what I mean by choose, we would take a guess and yeah. we would try and prove right. it that way. And if that failed, we'd try to prove it the other way. If we couldn't prove it was true, we couldn't prove it was false, we had to prove that it was unprovable. Unprovable, yeah. I've done okay. this too. I did I did this in math as well. It's a little mind-blowing when you first look at it, right? Because, you know, as kids, we're taught, yes, you know, everybody's saying, yes or no, give me an answer. And and sometimes it's not either one. And, and if you know, if you're lucky, you can prove that it's not, you cannot answer the question. Right. Okay, and I'll give you an example of this later in the show. Okay. So... Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, uh, this is an interesting interview for me. I know Richard's not saying much. I'm sort of not saying much, and that's fine with me. Uh, uh, you know, I just sort of am, uh, sort of am impressed with with your brain, you know, and uh, <laughs> and how it expresses itself through your vocal cords, and, and it's pretty fascinating. So, pretty much, you could say whatever you want to, and I'm all ears, man. All right, man. Well, just uh, you know, I was going to do this kind of a you know, let's let's get you guys involved a little more. No, you know, no, that's saying, really it's not I got about questions us, for man. you. <laughs> it's answer not me this, Carl. <laughs> so, so I want to you know one of the things I wanted to talk about. You know, we we're talking about architecture. Yes. You know, and and how to make really good architecture work for you. Um. Uh. 
one of the products we have is called Refactor, which is this refactoring tool. And so what we did is, is we made it so that it was be, be very, very fast and easy for us to create new refactorings. Right. And so that entails, one of the things that entails, I'm a big believer of this, if, if, you've got a, any, any, if you've got a team of three guys or more, you might consider this same, doing the same thing, and that is creating a wizard inside Visual Studio to build you know, the pieces that are going to be your features. Because my guess is, if you, well, at least if you've got a good architecture, you've probably got some sort of commonality in how you, you know, load a feature into the system. Right. And, and that's going to be required probably something like descending from a class, maybe filling out some properties, things like that. Create a wizard to do that. So we've got a, one of the things we have is a wizard. And then the other thing I talked about already was, you know, having that very robust uh, API, that very robust engine that you can now exploit from your plugins. So you can write just a couple lines of code and you can do some amazing things. You, um, Mark, the other, yeah, the, yeah, the thing that's occurring to me here is that uh, a lot of these, um, you know, uh, ideas and a lot of these fe- things that you're, you're suggesting work really well if you're writing Refactor or Code Rush. But so often new features require integration with other pieces of data, like, lot, you know, maybe other user interface, things that you just can't wrap up neatly in a wizard. Right? Well, 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 okay, what, 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 that, what that is a smell of, though, what's a, that, that's a sign of if you need one feature to go talk to another feature, is that communication mechanism needs to be pushed down into the core engine. Mm. Okay? In other words, you really don't want to have one feature talking to another feature. And the reason why is because these are high-level features, right? And, you, and that's, you're creating a tight coupling between the two. Um, you, you, and, and the other thing I should talk about too is what you're describing, Carl, is totally okay if you've got kind of a you know, small little utility and you're not going to maintain it much. But if you've got so if you've if you've got something and you're creating something that you plan to be maintaining over the next you know five years or more, then it really makes a lot of sense to invest. So, for Are, example, for example, a uh, you know a auto parts uh, website, for example, you know this is this is something that where you have to actually build web user interface, you have to build stuff, and if you wanted to add features, uh, you know. Uh, you know, features such as things that are going to happen on the back end could be added quite easily. But, you know, features that in- include interaction with the user, obviously a wizard isn't going to take care of those features. You know what I'm saying? So, like, user interface no, I know. that I'm has not to be well- built can't be wizardized. But Right. It's just yeah. like that. But it's just like when we co- went to the very beginning. Remember I said, you know, sometimes it's not a 100% solution. Sometimes it's a combination of smaller solutions. Sure. So, so wizard only solves a small bit. It gets you started. Yeah. Right? It really doesn't give, it doesn't add, it, it, it saves you maybe, well, here's, I'll tell you where it saves you. It saves you in two areas. One is it really lowers the barrier, barrier the barriers to prototyping. Mm-hmm. Right? You say, hey, I want to try this idea. Let's do it. Imagine if it was a pain in the ass to set up that. Would right. you try it? No, nah, I don't think I would. Right. You know, in other words, we're talking about lowering barriers so to entry. Just in, yeah, just in general, it's a good idea to see take to take whatever you can push down, and if you have good architecture, take all those things that you can push down to the core in in wizard eyes and do that. Well, well, there's two. There, these are so two different solutions. One saying. is pushing things to the core. Two is wizardizing things. Yeah. The second, the second thing that wizards do for you is they bring new guys up to speed very quickly. Hmm. Okay. In other words, a new guy can, you know, you say, here's how you start a new one. And he's like, okay, got it. It's all about, I mean, the lowering barriers to success. It's right. all about that. Right. Okay. 
Oh, Jesus. Pick, picking up your idea, Carl, of the uh, the auto parts shop, you know where you'd wizardize something would be bringing in a new vendor. I got well, another sure. guy I need to buy parts from. There's a bunch of stuff I'm going to need every time, but every one of these guys is slightly different. Sure. So, you know, being able to pick which elements they provide, which elements they don't provide, what must be there, what isn't quite there. Sure. But, those are but, the kinds of things you yeah, can pull together. Yeah, those are features that are repeatable. But, you know, for, for example, oh, we need a web service for a particular vendor uh you know that that's specific to this logic and all that stuff i mean those aren't features that you can just wizardize i'm saying that i'm I think saying there's that an awful there's, lot of them that you can there's a actually i don't want to argue the, the point but be, i just wanted to point out that you, while there's a lot of stuff that you can commoditize that you know obviously it doesn't you know reach ever, everywhere so okay i would well i would i would argue with that I, I would i would argue against that carl in other words i would say look basically what uh, if i hear you correctly you're saying this does not apply everywhere and i would say what i would say is i would say this 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 idea of either wizardizing and or you know pushing things down into the core and it, so that you can exploit makes sense and applies everywhere that you have a situation where you're going to do something similar a couple times in a row sure I'll in other words, and, 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 and what we do often, Carl, is, is, is often we observe that we're doing something similar in two different features. Yeah. And, and in other words, we didn't, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the best example right now. This is the biggest architectural flaw in the DX core. So I'll, I'll tell everybody right now what the biggest flaw is, in my opinion. The biggest flaw in the architectural core is that we have three different objects that solve the problem of detecting where the source code is underneath the uh, or in view so that when we put up a new ui or a hint we don't step on any source code we get it out of the way hmm. but we have three different objects we've solved the problem three different ways for three different times hmm. and and this is an example of something that needs to be pushed down into the core sure um it's you know when the first time we did it it was the first time so it was just there the second time we did it, we needed it not quite the same as the other. We maybe forgot the other one existed, something like that. And we just, you know, we, 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 we did it that way. And, and, uh, and it's really, 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 an, uh, uh, it's like big on my list for, for refactoring once we get all the big things out of the way. Yeah. Just kind of a little annoyance. So here's another one that, 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 that I remembered while we were talking about this. And this one I think is actually the most important one. This I put this even above ask the right questions. The most important one is, and I, I kind of call this, I want to call this like understand the enemy, but enemy is kind of a, you know, uh, a, an emotional word. Uh, it's more along the lines of understand the opposing forces. And, and, and if you think about it, the, anything that gets in your way, Carl, between, between your definition of success and where you are right now is an opposing force. It requires some energy. Maybe you've got to write some code. You've got to fix a bug. These are all opposing forces that get in your way. Obstacles. Um, they're obstacles, right. right? Right. They're obstacles. I'm By, here. McDonald's is over there. I don't have a car. That's I a problem. Walk. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> something like that. i got to give them some money. These are all the frictional forces, right? However... By nature, human beings are relatively successful at overcoming obstacles, right? We can, you can, in fact, most programmers are great problem solvers. You can give them extremely hard challenges and they will, you give them enough time and, uh, you know, maybe enough collaboration and they can come up with some really impressive solutions. However, 
what, what I like to do is I like to kind of think of these opposing forces as, uh, uh, I, I like to characterize them. So I like, you know, think of them as kind of like Darth Vader or something like that, right? And, <laughs> and, and so my enemy's Darth Vader, right? And he's trying to stop me from succeeding. What is, so the question is to you guys, yeah. what is the cheapest, most cost-effective technique that Darth Vader can use to defeat me? The Force. Well, nope, not the Force. <laughs> well, it's, he's got to use the Force to do it, but it's one specific thing in the Force. Can you think of it? What's the cheapest thing he can do to defeat you? Yeah. Tell you you can't do it. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. These are not the droids you're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> in other words... <laughs> that actually was Obi-Wan, dude. But that's okay. Yeah, but Darth Vader can do it, right? Because yeah, he's my true. enemy, he right? Can. He can. In, in other words, in other words, don't t- don't correct me, Carl. I know it was Obi Wan. So, so yeah, that's exactly it. Trying to help Someone, you stay on message. Somebody can get all they have to do is convince you that it can't be done, right? And then what happens? You don't even try. Yeah. Right. You don't try. You don't work. I mean, you don't try to overcome the obstacles. You don't do that thing that you're so good at because you believe it is impossible. Now, sometimes that little Darth Vader character, I'm sounding like one of these, uh, you know, Tony Robbins guys, but (laughs) sometimes that Darth Vader character is in your own head, right? You say, well, it's impossible and you just give up, right? You don't, you don't push it real hard. Um, And, uh, and, and so that is important. the, the, The story I have that's related to this is... Uh, my whole life I wanted to be a space shuttle pilot. Since I was a kid and I saw the, the broadcast of the astronauts walking on the moon. Yeah. And I was like, I want to be an astronaut my whole life. And I made it all the way up to about, um, I don't know, 19 years of my life. And I was in the Air Force Academy. Um, I think I was maybe even 20 years old. And uh, I was on target. And uh, I, I had two encounters with instructors, two different instructors. They would ask me what I was going to do after I got out of the Air Force Academy. And I said, I said, I'm going to go into space shuttle training. And both of them independently said to me, uh, well, your grades are too low. You can't do that. And I think I had a 2.7. You know, I was taking all these massive classes, and I wasn't really caring too much about my GPA. I was just there to learn. So I would, you know, not necessarily do all the, all the homework all the time. I just tried to be absorbing and sucking up as much as I could. Because to me, that was why, why I was there. <laughs> so anyway, right. uh, it's, uh, so I had a 2.7. And I was like, oh. And I had two independent sources telling me that I couldn't do it, that it was impossible. And point blank, I just believed him. And I left the Air Force Academy. And uh, about three years later, I ran into a friend of mine. And uh, I just told him this story that I just told you. And he says, oh, really? I'm in space shuttle training. What was your grade point average? And I said, mine was a 2.7. He goes, mine was a 2.51. <laughs> Great. I was like, oh, my God. And so Oops. I tell my kids whenever I can, whenever I have the opportunity, I say, if anybody ever tells you you cannot do something, you do not believe them. That's right. I don't care how credible you think they are. You do not believe them. You can't light that bomb. <laughs> hey, kids. You can't paint my car. Hey, kids. <laughs> uh, I didn't think about those repercussions, Carl. Good point. So, so anyway, the, uh, the Jedi mind trick. Yeah. You 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 have to you just cannot believe it. Now, here's another great tool that's great for getting around, you know, when something when somebody says, "Well, this is impossible." Sometimes you can fake it. 
And and I've got two examples of this. One of the examples I have is um, in the uh, uh, in Code Rush for Delphi, we had a feature that allowed developers to draw UML diagrams inside their source code, right next to it. Hmm. Now, as we all know, source code files are just text files, right? Right. And it's pretty much impossible to you know do this, and yet we were doing exactly this. And and how were we able to do it? Well, we faked it. And and it was just this 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 combination of things. Like when you save the file, we saved out some additional information in a separate file mm-hmm. that stored all this. When the screen was painted, we knew where the diagrams were, so we put them there. When you hovered the mouse over them, we changed the icon of the mouse. You know, so you knew that you yeah. could click on it. It was like Visio inside a source code, and you could put the stuff right there. How is that faking it? Well, that's a great question, Carl. Because you know, it's 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 faking it i guess it's faking it because it's there's a bit of an illusion in other words that's going on but but what really the essence of your question is carl i think is is hey you know that's not really any different from when i move the mouse on my and i see the cursor moving across my screen yeah i mean it's all an illusion it, yeah. everything that we do is an illusion so if you once you understand that then you, the, the second example i have is from a refactor you, you you know this Carl. We've shown this in the in the in the videos that you helped uh, helped right. us out with. In in Refactor, when we reorder parameters, you actually see the text of the parameters smoothly kind of dance around each other. They move around each other. Yeah. Right. So you can visually see. Oh, I understand what just happened. Not you, something you're used to seeing in a text editor. Right. And yeah. if you normally, if you've normally, you know. If you went to the author of that text editor, you know, and on the Visual Studio team, and you said, "Hey, is that possible?" He would say, "That is impossible to do." Right. But it's a, but it is possible to fake it, and 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 so so that's a, this is another very powerful one. Is this sometimes you can fake it because yeah. uh, uh, I, I remember the, the the most recent time that somebody said to me that something was impossible was I think at PDC, and we were talking about. Um, uh, the uh, property grid, you know, where you got all the properties listed in Visual Studio at design time. Mm-hmm. And um, the problem was, is that we, this particular component had a lot of, uh, 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 it had some, a lot of properties. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to simplify the interface for our customers. This is, this is one of our own products. This was the, uh, the I, I think our extra grid is what I think it was. We wanted to simplify the interface. Uh in response to essentially how to questions so that the, the you know the developer is saying you know how do i do this and then we say well here's how you do it and then what we want to do is we want to condense that list of properties so it's just a few yeah during these steps and say these are the ones you want to work with and point them out to it and uh and and i was informed that that's impossible to do that they looked at it and it's quite simply impossible to do now what's remarkable is is if you use the this property grid control this net control in your own apps you can filter but but you just couldn't filter the one there and mm. what you know and i was like I was, I was like don't tell me it's impossible because you know then i'll just do it mm. and and uh you know then uh, then i'll put all my energy into it and one of the solutions that we came up with was well we could fake it since we can do it with our own property grid and we can't do it with theirs, what's to stop us from putting our own on there? Mm-hmm. Over, right, overlay it just when the time is needed. The user won't know it's there or not. And we just basically put all the supporting framework there to totally convince them that that's what's happening. Yeah, so by faking it, you're sort of retrofitting 
instead of changing the underlying architecture to support the feature, yeah. you're sort of tacking it on on top. Is what you well, mean. realize that we don't have control of the underlying architecture. So it's kind of like v, it's kind of like objects in VB4. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, I know enough about that to agree with you. Yeah. And the, and the, the other thing is, is it's also this, this, this faking it thing also helps out when you're dealing with uh, legacy code that you have to go with, you have to run with. Like somebody was asking me a question. They had an ActiveX control they had to use, but they wanted to use it in a cell of one of our grids. And we were talking about ways in which we could make that work. And, uh, and, 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 and the requirement was they had to ab- absolutely use that ActiveX control. They could not go away with it. They could not use anything else. And so the question was, how do we make that work? So, so that faking it is, is, is a tool that you can use. So, okay, so I wanted to talk about architecture a little bit more. You know, um, we're talking about creating a competitive advantage um, uh, in, in your architecture. And, and for us with Refactor, one of the, you know, we talked about, you know, doing things like having a very strong, robust uh, core API that you can go and make calls into. And, uh, and we talked about wizards. Those are, those are helpful. Um, another thing that's helpful are, uh, uh, is having a component-based architecture for creating your features, so, right. like one of the examples you came up, you gave earlier was uh, creating a web service. Like maybe I need to create this a couple times. Well, you know, you could create a component that you dropped on your plugin in the designer and had properties on it that were common to the kinds of web services you do. Mm-hmm. So you could kind of componentize that. Mm-hmm. Again, components are also very, very good for getting new guys up to speed, and they lower that barrier to entry right. um, uh, to 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 prototyping and to actually finishing, getting something finished. Um, the other thing, though, that was unique about our approach is um, it was really important to us not to uh, or, or to have an architecture that didn't require us to write a separate refactoring for each different language we wanted to support. Right. Okay. And we also didn't want to, you know, ha- have a different way of working with, you know, each of these different, you know, languages internally. So we had to create like a, you know, a parse tree that uh, uh, had all the, um, uh, uh, the you know that, that, that was could be universally described C sharp or VB or other languages, right? Sure. And and we and, and we had to be able to have the API do the same thing, and also we had to decouple code generation. And and what's cool is we were able to do that, and 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 all of these things combined, you know, the wizard and the component architecture um, that we have. Uh, oh, one thing just came to mind with component architecture, also great for events if you want to you know, hook events up very fast and easily. Much right. better than the alternative of hooking up events. So Especially within the process of wiring up a feature. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because typically, if you've got an application, you probably have events. It's the implementation of the observer design pattern, right? You, you sure. have events somewhere in that core that, that your features want to know about. You really haven't even talked about the plug-in architecture for extending features, which I think is universally, universally applicable. Right, uh, well, not the, just the, for developer tools, but I know you talked about that on the last show. Yeah, well, these 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 things I'm talking about are work regardless of whether you have plugin architecture or not. Right. It's all the plugin architecture. I mean, plugin architecture gives you some other some other bonuses, but 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 everything I've set up to this point is it doesn't matter if you've got plugin architecture or not. Okay. Uh, I promised earlier uh, an example about uh, a boolean. You know. True, Black false. and white thinking, yeah. Right. One of the things that we can do, one of the refactorings that we have is something called simplify expression. And what it can do is it can take a complex redundant expression and simplify it. So as an example, the one I'm going to, I'm going to, you're going to have to picture this in your head for everybody listening. 
if a equals b or logical or a is less than b that's the expression a equals b or a is less than b we could simplify that expression to just become a is less than b right yes however one of the tenets of refactoring is we don't want any changes to your code and what if a and b were not local variables or parameters but instead what if they were properties okay mm. If they're properties, what's happening is we're now taking a line of code that uh, was likely to call A twice and B twice, and instead it's calling each of them one time, guaranteed, because of the simplification. So in other words, it doesn't always work. Well, no, I'm not, I mean, it's not, it's not, the answer's not that simple. The, the challenge, the question is, how can we tell if this simple change has any side effects on the code? And what we have to do is we have to actually go out and look at the code and look for side effects. And, and, and this word comes back to this Boolean true, false, or somewhere in between. Mm. And, and, and the essence, the, the, the short answer on this, Carl, is that we can, we can look inside a property and we might see a method call inside that property. Well, should we go and dive into the method and look for side effects there? Because there probably will be or there might be. It's our responsibility if we want to know for sure. But then also there's, there's problems with, you know, how much evaluation are we going to do and how much time does the user have to wait for us to go through all this? Yeah. Like one method call could lead to millions of others or, you know, that sort of thing. So, so the question is, is how far do we go and what can we come back? What's the state? And, and the, the answers to the state are we can come back with, yes, we've definitely found side effects. In other words, we're taking a, 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 a variable of the class and we're incrementing it each time the getter comes in something like that. Or we can come back, definitely we've not found side effects. We know there are no side effects in this, in the, in the getter of the property. Uh, or we can come back with, we're not sure. So and, what do you do if you're not sure? Well, that's the thing, is, is that's the next question, right? And it really depends on, for us, there's a couple of refactorings that follow, that, 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 that come in, into this category. Well, first of all, the obvious, let's take care of the two obvious ones. If, if there are no, no side effects, we're available. Refactoring is available and it runs. Right. If there are side effects, uh, then, uh, then it's not available. If we're not sure, uh, we decide on a, on a, on a per-refactoring basis what is going to make most sense for the user. In other words, does the user get more benefit from something that's potentially might be wrong than if, if we just keep them from ever being able to try it? In other words, the, the user, you know, the user has got some judgment on this as well, right? It's not just the, the program that says, you know, whether or not this is available. And so right. what, we, what we'll do is if it makes sense to give the, allow the user to decide, we will make it available. And then when it's generated, we'll let the user know that, uh, you know, when the code is generated, we'll put like a to-do comment in there that says, check this. And like we'll say, here's what the old expression was. Here's the new one. Check it for side effects. Hmm. Something like that. Okay. So that might be an approach. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. And then the final thing, I'm like, I feel like I I'm wish just, I had something more witty to say, but uh, I feel like I'm sucking up everybody's time and everybody's turned off. Stop the recording. You by just now can't anyway. argue with that kind of powerful logic, man. All right. So the final thing I wanted to talk about because I wanted to talk about this on an earlier show because this is also this is 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 a problem that I have considered, or is one of these really ultra challenging problems that you know on, on the surface seems impossible. The open source thing. The open source issue with Microsoft. How can Microsoft com combat open source 
software like Linux and uh, uh, and Firefox. Well, right? I guess the, I guess the bigger question is, do they need to combat it? How how do they deal? How does it affect them, and how do they deal with it? I think right. Well, yeah, I guess you could you could yeah, you could first ask that question. I from my perspective, I think they do. Um, uh, if you look at Firefox, and I think Firefox is is essentially representative of of like some of the best that the the best threat out there that it can get. Yeah, I agree. Right, and uh, um, and and look at what's going. What, what, look at the momentum with Firefox. One of the remarkable things with Firefox is th- that a huge number of plugins have showed up for this product. I want to say something like 640 or something like that have shown up. And uh, uh, developers have gone nuts for it. And by contrast, if you say, well, let's look at plugins for Internet Explorer, what's available out there, um, you don't see them, right? They're just not there. You get to a bunch of old pages and says, well, you know, things like, well, Internet Explorer doesn't support Netscape plugins anymore and things like that. These are like your number one links off of Google if you try and Google this stuff. It's just not there. And... I was talking to somebody at Microsoft who had nothing to do with Internet Explorer. He was just like on the the office team. But I was asking him the question, why why did he think all these plugins were showing up for Firefox? You know, and he said, uh, well, because a bunch of guys hate Microsoft, you know. And I was like, oh, man, if yeah. if that is the common perception, in other words, the perception is the motivation behind these guys is that they hate Microsoft. Well, it's, it kind of goes back to you're asking the wrong question again. In other words, yep. the conclusion is from that, well, they hate us. You know, we can't make them love us. Nothing we can do. Let's, yeah, that's, that's off the mark. And then, and then the other thing, too, that's interesting about if you look at what Microsoft is doing to combat open source, um, it's, it, it seems like what, I, what I'm observing is they are working really hard to, you know, um, uh, make their product as secure as possible as professional as possible. And they're trying, they're essentially kind of taking the high ground on it, on it, right? In other words, we're going to, we're going to, this is what we're going to do. They're, I, I haven't really seen any, you know, you don't really see, see too much else in terms of what they're doing in, in terms of combating open source. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they, they're collecting patents, but you, you know, there's not really any lawsuits that you're hearing about on this stuff, but that's it. The, the thing that's remarkable to me though, is, is that at least I contend, I believe that for Internet Explorer, we would have like 640 plugins if developing for Internet Explorer was a thrilling, empowering experience. Yeah. Yeah. In, in other words, extending, if we, extending Microsoft's products was exciting, thrilling, empowering for developers, they would do it. And, and I, think also, I think also that in the realm of Microsoft, you know, the... The companies that typically extend those things have some monetary interest in doing so, right? Yes, that's true. Where, so, so not only does it have to be thrilling and exciting, but it also has to be worthwhile for, you know, uh, the the open source movement, uh, you know, seems to be less motivated by by that kind of thing, and therefore, you know, tends to be more individuals and right. side projects and things. Right. But uh, you know, if you think of the 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 VBX phenomena, right, in Visual Basic. And all these, uh, the custom control toolkit came out, and all these companies had custom controls. And then it was, you know, everybody was racing to make custom controls that work in Visual Basic. And then they became OCXs. It was there. There was both things happened. It was thrilling and cool. Yeah. And there was a monetary uh, interest. Yeah. In doing well, so. 
I think between, you know, I think maybe the ideal answer lies somewhere between where Firefox is and where Internet Explorer is, mm. you know. It's but but it really boils down to it's it's these you know it, it, what are these frictional forces forces yeah. between developer and plugin you know between me and answering the the impossible question what are the forces and let's you know get them out of the way let's make it as easy as possible you know it, it, that's what it comes down to in my opinion yeah. and I I think Microsoft should really really should consider trying to combat open source from this perspective. So do really, you think you think that do you have any suggestions to make uh developing plugins easy and fun and and uh Yeah, don't make it so hard. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding, but um you know, yeah, see the earlier part of the show when I was talking about, you know, right. you know, I was talking about wizards and I was talking about component-based architecture um for well, they certainly are they're certainly stuck with the architecture they have now, right? No. You know? No, they're not. They can change their architecture. Yeah. They're not stuck with it. You're not stuck with anything. I mean, you can put a wrapper around anything, you know, and True. make something easier. So, True. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, that's what we did with the DX Core. The DX Core is this great wrapper around extending Visual Studio. So, yeah. So, so that's you know, I, I just I'm I'm I wanted to talk about that because that's the kind of you know, open source is it's the it's the kind of problem that seems hard to beat. Yes. But you can beat it by doing the same thing that the open source guys do, in my opinion. In other words, you can make it so that your product is extensible by other developers, too. So, Mark, are you going to be appearing at any conferences or code camps or talking at anything? Is there any place where people can come see you besides Austin or Idaho? Oh, yeah. You know, thanks for asking me. I'm going to be, when you hear this, if you're listening to it next week, which is, I guess, the week of the 10th or something like that, I'm going to be at VS Live uh, in Orlando, Florida. And uh, if you're in Southern California area, on the 19th of October, I'm going to go uh, be at the Orange County C-Sharp User Group, and I'll be uh, actually uh, talking about how to write code really fast and uh, efficiently. And then I'll be on the .NET road trip trying to keep everybody from killing each other. <laughs> yeah. so that's where I am this week. This All week. right, Mark. Well, listen, it's been a real pleasure. You know, we don't get to talk about code as much as I'd like to. And uh, I appreciate it, Carl. Yeah. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. It's nice. All right, Mark Willis, and uh, on behalf of myself and Richard Campbell and uh, the rest of the .NET Rocks crew, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show, and hey, man, we'll see you uh, on the road. Bye. .NET Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com slash d-o-t-n-e-t-r-o-c-k-s .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. All music heard on .NET Rocks, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl Never Sleeps. .NET Rocks is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back. Yes, I'm a, a